Are you looking to expand your brand this year? Want to make your business stand out above the rest? Well, there's no better way to grow than with your own podcast. Whether you're an entrepreneur, a solopreneur, a small business, or a massive company, you need a podcast in 2024. Podcast Plus is an easy and efficient way for you and your brand to join the podcast revolution. There's no better way to position your company as the go-to authority than with a podcast that showcases your industry knowledge, insights, and expertise. The studios at Podcast Plus are state-of-the-art with top-of-the-line production quality. And if you're just starting out, Podcast Plus offers professional script writing, editing magic, and can conceptualize your show, create your cover art, and get you ready to stream on all major platforms. We'll market your podcast as well, showcasing it on radio stations and digital streams across the country. Expand, enhance, and extend your company and brand and reach potential clients and customers 24-7. Find out more at podcast with the K, P-L-U-S.com. That's podcast with the K, P-L-U-S.com. Five, four, three, two, one. We interrupt our program to bring you this important message. A confirmed attack is taking place against the United States. Aliens from an unknown location have been reported in multiple states. We are controlling transmission. There is another world that awaits, far beyond what we can see and feel. A place that's anything but ordinary. What you believe might not be. Step into the zone of the best unknown. UFOs, aliens, ghosts, Bigfoot, conspiracies and cover-ups. And to the paranormal we go. Welcome to the program tonight, friends. Good to be with you. Somewhere between the paranormal and the abnormal. Yeah, we're the show that talks about all that weird stuff that you uh, sometimes fall asleep to just because of the hour that we're on. But it makes it, uh, oh, a little bit more mysterious to talk about what we do somewhere between the paranormal and the abnormal. I am Jeremy Scott, and um, all systems are go tonight. I had to uh, double-check that. Uh, Not that I had any concerns. Uh, You know, we've been pretty steady uh, ready for a little while now. Rock solid internet connection upgraded just a couple months ago, and uh, so I, and we're protected, you know, with the firewall and the uh, the virus protection and all that. So um, yeah, try to get in and stop the show from transmitting. Of course, we've got the signal going out in a variety of uh, different uh, forms and fashions, and whatever way you uh, find this transmission tonight. Uh, we're glad to have you along for the program. Although I'm afraid we don't have necessarily uplifting news, but when do we really ever? I mean, it's rare. We we do try to find those uh, those moments if we can and share them with you. But sometimes, you know, it is uh, dire situations in which we face. But uh, warning you, forewarning you in some cases, like in last night's program about what may be to come. So uh, although I am afraid that cyber attacks... Uh, are only getting worse. I am not surprised. Absolutely not surprised. We've been talking about this for quite some time on the program. And uh, quietly, it is uh, not being discussed that uh, 2023 was a record year for cyber attacks. Record year. You know, previously we've talked about ransomware, how devastating that has been, and the toll that that has taken on business, monetarily and otherwise. Spent a lot of hours, in fact, talking about that. But uh, you know the 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 attacks that are happening, uh, 
in, in particular are, are not even that in many cases. Uh, in fact, they're sharing the love, these uh, uh, hackers, not just hitting the U.S. 120 countries were hit by cyber attacks last year. Many of those hackers based in Russia, China, North Korea, and Iran. Over 120 countries. Record year for cyber attacks. That means that likely there was uh, a lot of damage that was done. Now, when this happens, you know, these hackers are not going to show any mercy in the case of a, a ransom situation where they'll demand your livelihood, devastate infrastructure. I mean, it's all happened of late from sensitive systems across many sectors, the FBI, oil pipelines, power grids, water systems, hospitals, schools, uh, and and the list goes on. And often... There's a virus that is at play inflicted on the computers of its victims, crippling business. And in some cases, like we've talked about with hospitals, medical situations, other things that rely on the Internet in which to deliver something at a precise time. I mean, just think about how much of the world works on automation and uh, you know subscription based shipments you know that can all be disrupted and when you're relying on it and it doesn't show up and you need it it's a dire situation so sometimes these are life threatening situations for those who are who are hurt by it and and on the other end meanwhile the criminals are demanding large sums of money in order to remove the damage that they've done and restore access. So many times, these kinds of things do not get reported. The victims feel embarrassed. They would uh, rather not say how much that they were scammed out of. So the number of attacks and the dollar figures in damages are much lower than has been reported. Speaking of being reported, uh, the media is not educating us on how we are playing right into the hands of those who want us completely digitized. Therefore, they can control us. I mean, they already have our personal data. They're stealing our identities and DNA and can imitate us. Deepfakes, that sort of thing. I mean, what is next. Are we supposed to feel good about everything going digital? I mean, digital makes a lot of uh, my life possible, so I love digital, but I like secured connections, and, um, and I appreciate what it does for me, but I am certainly aware uh, what, what the other side of the equation is which is that if it goes away, you know, we're, we're desperate for it. And, and we need to, I mean, just imagine a situation where the internet goes down 
okay, maybe you can live with that for a little while because you're really tired of reading emails. But, I mean, if it's just your internet, is it like your home-wired internet, your wireless internet? Will you still have internet on your phone? So who knows? Will you really not be connected? What if your your your, your cell phone tower is knocked offline and you don't have cell phone service or, or the power is out indefinitely, you know, for a, a, a length of time? Those are, are really what we what we're talking about. And we've talked at length, of course, about uh, many of the ways that this is already happening. And of course, the possibilities of how it can escalate, you know, the more automation, the more prone we are to being hacked, especially when more and more things these days are, these days are hackable. But, you know, we've probably really actually only scratched the surface of what is possible when we hand the keys over to those who wish to do us harm. And there are those out there on the Internet. Uh, They have uh, no lives. They weren't raised uh, properly. Whatever the situation is, maybe they're depressed. They've lost someone close to them. They thrive on uh, hurting people and and doing so through um, an anonymous uh, attack in which you don't know who's doing it to you. You don't usually meet the person who's uh, ripped off your identity or been mooching off your unsecured internet and you know getting all your personal information. They don't usually introduce themselves. Most of the time, of course, they get away with it. Uh, a lot of times it's family members and there's nobody wants to turn in a family member anymore for that sort of situation. Uh, I started seeing on my social media feed recently, and perhaps maybe you have as well, there were uh, several people within my network who were posting about a film, and perhaps you've heard about it. It's called Leave the World Behind. If that name sounds familiar, you may, uh, of course, recognize it as a novel written by Ruman Alam in 2020, Leave the World Behind. And now there is a film on Netflix with that same name. The book is about a family vacationing in a remote corner of Long Island. It is late at night, kind of like now. And there's a knock on the door. It is the couple who own the home that this family is vacationing in. They arrive at the residence in a panic. They say that there has been a blackout. A situation in which I just just described. No TV. No internet. No cell service. That right there is not too far off from being our reality one day. This film was uh, very effective at opening some eyes to this threat. It was not a happy ending. Left a lot of people... Wondering what they had spent the last couple of hours watching. But just like situations in life, they are not always happy endings. And perhaps it was uh, too real for many people to handle, but I believe that it did get its point across. As for our situation that we face, you know, it's only going to get worse. And that means we are more vulnerable than ever because not our not only are the hackers after our data and our minds but our genetic information 
is also at a great and and perhaps grave risk. Perhaps you uh, heard about 23andMe, which is a genetic testing provider, and the attacks that they suffered. It was a major data breach that went on to affect 6.9 million users, all of which had their data, their personal information exposed. And eventually, we would find out that that information was uh, actually not sold, but was actually just leaked, which meant far more people had access to it. The company says attackers breached accounts in what's known as credential stuffing. It's when hackers get hold of passwords that have been compromised to breach into a system. Basically, all you people in your weak passwords, you can't remember them. In this case, they were able to abuse other features and do what's called scraping data. They did so on millions of individuals. And as I mentioned, they they tried to sell the data. But problem is, nobody was buying. And so they ended up leaking data on 1 million Jews and over 4 million people living in Great Britain on a hacking forum. So now, hackers, who knows how many, have access to the data on millions of people. And it's not just uh, in, I mean, not not to say if you had sold it to somebody, they wouldn't resell it, and it would end up in multiple hands. Still, uh, this situation is uh, deeply concerning as the information it becomes more widely accessible to those who want to use it to do us harm. By the way, that security breach, as they're calling it, has led to class action lawsuits against 23andMe for not adequately protecting their data. So, were they after our DNA? Is that what the, the hackers ultimately wanted? And what would such a situation really look like there's only really one person that we could turn to for that information and we're going to do that on the program tonight join us for our show somewhere between the paranormal and the abnormal as we are hacking the genome tonight i'm jeremy scott we'll be right back into the paranormal I'm Jeremy Scott, somewhere between the uh, paranormal and abnormal. So this is site is for users to basically look into their family history, what's known as genealogy. And so there is a lot of uh, personal information on there. And uh, we're going to talk about exactly uh, that situation tonight with James F. Ponder, who is born and raised in Miami, Florida, has a B.A. in history with additional studies in astronomy and other sciences. After college, he enlisted in the U.S. Army and was deployed to West Germany, later became an officer teaching Soviet tactics and strategies, Russian and Warsaw Pact equipment, and specialized in their missile, nuclear, 
and space systems, as well as deployment of forces. Professionally, James has worked at the U.S. Customs Service and later at the Department of Homeland Security, investigating cyber crimes and performing computer forensics. After retirement, he taught cybersecurity, digital evidence, and network security at the Federal Law Enforcement Training Center in Brunswick, Georgia. He is our cybersecurity expert and EMP consultant on the show. Welcome back, James Ponder. It's uh, good to have you here. Thanks, Jeremy. It's great to get back. Great, great to be back with the show. So when we talk about the genome, uh, that is uh, that basically can tell, can, contains all the information on our DNA inside a cell in which we need to develop and function. So it is very, very important to the overall scheme of things uh, to, to who we are and how we function and how we develop. And yet with a, a situation like this, uh, I'm wondering if there will be copies of people's DNA floating out there on the dark web. If I were a bad guy, I would already have it. I would have archived that information and I would be categorizing it, putting it in spreadsheets and seeing what I could do with it. Unfortunately, I spent a lot of time trying to think like bad guys and uh, while none of it has rubbed off on me, you see hacks like this and you see what are the second and third level effects of it being out there? And this is a problem, unfortunately. And it's just another fumble that has occurred because everything is on a single Internet. And 23andMe is a good idea until it's not. And this is one of those areas where it's kind of not. As far as how it happened, from my understanding, Their servers didn't get hacked, but their users, uh, put it mildly uh, or bluntly, uh, rather, uh, were lazy with their passwords. And because they had used them on other websites, they were then able to hack the user and find that password that they had used on several websites, tried it on 23andMe, and then in the account they are. And then from there, you know, having not used it myself, my, my guess is that you can do a, uh, you know, a match, so to speak. And that's how you access all of this data that is publicly uh, available, I guess. Uh, although probably be through a subscription. Right. That's right. I, I have been on the website through a family member that paid to have it done. And it's very interesting. Uh You know, hackers used to go after the really mundane things like bank accounts, credit cards, Bitcoin accounts, the GSA. But now they're really getting interesting. They're going after genetic markers as well. And that's what we're looking at tonight. And we will continue our conversation with James F. Ponder, Afternoons with George Henry. And uh, more to come on our program. Stick with us. I'm Jeremy Scott, somewhere between the paranormal and abnormal.
This is Paranormal News. Members of Congress are scheduled for a classified briefing on UFOs this Friday. The House Oversight Committee will meet with the U.S. Intelligence Community's Inspector General. Members will need to have top-secret clearance to attend the briefing in the Office of House Security. This comes following a letter from the committee to the IG requesting details on programs to reverse engineer or retrieve crashed UFOs. Insiders say classified details of an illegal crash retrieval program will reportedly be discussed. This is the result of former intelligence official David Grush coming forward with claims the government is in possession of non-human biologics from a recovered UFO. George Henry, Paranormal News. It's a site where people hand over the most personal information to learn about their ancestry. But a recent data breach has left some customers of the genetic testing company 23andMe feeling vulnerable. A database full of sensitive information from the 23andMe website is currently circling around the dark web. There's a lot of valuable data out there for the attackers to go after. The company says hackers got information from 6.9 million people through its DNA relatives features. Access to personal information such as date of birth, ancestry results, and geographical location raising major concerns. Searching for the truth, asking the hard questions as we ponder what could be. You're traveling into the paranormal. Yeah, pondering with a James F. Ponder. Got yourself in a liner, James. I'm Jeremy Scott, somewhere between the uh, paranormal and the abnormal. This is a more on the abnormal side of things tonight. But just think about it. All those kinds of things that are now up for grabs, likely on the dark web. Uh, James, please continue your train of thought. You know, we're talking about uh, uh, a situation in which a lot of personal information uh, is on the line here. Just like your credit card information and your home mortgage information or your rental agreement, all those are on the Internet, the same Internet that circles the world a number of times. The background check you may have had, oh, that's behind a firewall. And your employer information, your tax information, all of this is available digitally making it really convenient, eliminating a lot of pencil pushers to make things more efficient. And yet there are all of these holes going on, bad passwords or passwords written underneath the keyboard. When I was teaching early on, first hour of my class of teaching cybersecurity, I would ask my students if they had seen the movie War Games. And two or three would raise their hands, and I'd say, where was the password? Where were the teacher's passwords kept? Under the keyboard. And you would be amazed. We were still finding. Now, Pat, see, I think War Games came out in 1982 or 83. We were still finding passwords taped underneath the keyboards when I did my last search warrants in 2011. So nobody pays attention, or if they do, they get lazy. 
and a combination of too many passwords in your head to remember them or gee i just need to make this one easy because i need to get into it all the time you don't have keychain or the windows version of it activated on your computer it makes personal data that should be kept to yourself or with your family member or with your employer only it makes it available around the world and that is what has happened to us uh, Jeremy, we have several points of failure here, and it's not just that it's hard to know all these passwords and remember them. I can't remember all of mine. We have a single point of failure in the whole world called the Internet because there's one Internet. What a wonderful idea that was. And the fact that routers and servers are built basically the same way. And you can socially engineer people to give up information. And you can do reverse hacks, such as credential stuffing, such as data scraping. And you can figure things out and unveil secrets. Open every person's personal Pandora's box of information leading to credit score problems, personal things getting out, your past history. We discussed on the phone earlier GPS, your GPS data. Uh, where have you been? What places have you been two or three times in the last year or two or three times this week? That could be indicting. That could also be corroborative to a story to get a, an alibi to get you out of a bad situation. But then again, how do you know? How do you know what giving up this information will help or hurt you? So I'm, I'm at a loss to give you or your listeners an easy explanation for this, except for the fact that our digital future that was discussed by a lot of people back in the late 80s and early 1990s, and especially by one politician who was vice president for a while, taking credit for some things that he didn't do, discussing our digital future and how great things are going to be, and they really are. We have things like smartphones and and Google for information and maps, all types of marvelous things, and yet our lives are wide open. I don't have any answers to that. I just don't think that date of births, uh, geographical location, and even ancestry results, which you know tells people who you're related to, is just a good thing to be floating around out there. Things can be used against people in all sorts of ways, and... An individual piece of information by itself is meaningless. But if you hook that, say, a birth date to a Social Security number, to a place of birth, and then to an employer, you can create a person out of that person's information, steal the data, and cause chaos. And the Internet facilitates this by making things easy for employment, for gaining information. And it's, 
it is a massive two-edged sword. We would not have a lot of the prosperity we have right now without the digital future that has landed on us since the middle 1990s. We also wouldn't have a lot of the chaos we're existing, we're having right now, where people get cloned, people get fired for the wrong reasons because of bad data. People are accused of things they never did, and it's hard to come up with an alibi. I see it. Right. So tell us uh, about the methods in which uh, DNA is recorded and stored and uh, studied. DNA, deoxyribonucleic acid, is basic in life forms on Earth. Human DNA is very distinctive, and you have some geniuses in the past, in the last 30 years, like Craig Venter, who jumped in where the government was taking forever to sequence the human genome, excuse me, genome, uh, Craig Venter said, I can do it in 10 years. And with something very similar to Moore's Law, a doubling of progress every year, he was able in just under seven years to finish the genome project and figure out the basics and the individuality of all humans and to distinguish human DNA from dog DNA and to use DNA for evidence to corroborate and indict or to corroborate an alibi and say, oh, it's not you. That's good. You didn't do it. You weren't there. It's fascinating how we've gone down this path. And while this has almost nothing to do with the Internet, it has to do with computing power and a great deal of very smart people, chemists, computer scientists, uh, bioengineers, that have come up with ways of finding how the basic building blocks of human beings and DNA how they differentiate and how we can use these as markers and how you can find, let's say, if you find DNA, you can find out a person's race, sex, eye color even, certain markers for certain diseases. And that's very good. You can find, like in reading about the Bosnia war crimes, the great killing field I know of an agent that went there and she was helping identify bodies. She was a different person when she came back. They used DNA then. In fact, they had to hold some of the samples until science caught up with them. But they were used to identify some of the bodies where they only had pieces from. It's very good to have this information and to be able to see what diseases you may have or who you may be related to that you didn't know but this information can be misused and that's what we're looking at right now and i'm wondering how it can be misused uh uh, you've told us some of the reasons but then can it be further used uh to create uh new versions of us 
The digital representation cannot be. You actually have to have the real DNA to do that. And we are not up to the level of cloning human beings yet, fortunately. Uh, there's a, a company in Korea that claims to be able to clone your pets. And I have read articles certain actors have had their pets cloned. I'm not so sure about that. I haven't read anything really solid on that yet, but I haven't gone down that rabbit hole. But a, a lot of good could come from this, but a, a lot of problems, too. And in spoofing DNA data, now you're not going to do it physically with the DNA, but in spoofing it with the alphanumerics that are used to represent the DNA in a database, this can be a real problem. I haven't seen that happen yet, but I suspect it has happened. And I suspect there are cases in court right now where that's going through, where the falsified DNA, basically a computer record, not real DNA, but a falsified alphanumeric record representing the DNA is being used to set someone up or to alibi someone who was really the criminal. And we're going to be seeing more of this in the news. 23andMe was just the consumer end of what's going on in the background at a larger level. Yeah. So uh, what else should we know about uh, this situation? How detrimental of an attack was this? This is, I would, I would rate this as one of the big attacks something that Richard Clark, who was a high-ranking member of the Clinton administration and later in the George a., George W. Bush administration, he came up with the term digital Pearl Harbor back about 1998. And he said, with a single internet, and he said, maybe we need to fix that, but with a single internet and everything going digital, he was able to correctly foresee that there were going to be digital attacks on the military bases and network operations and on defense contractors and on financial institutes and on individuals. And he said, our nation is ripe for a digital Pearl Harbor event. Pearl Harbor for 99% of the people came out of the blue. It was a shock, December 7th, 1941. It was a surprise attack. A few people in the military could kind of see it coming, but you couldn't pinpoint it, and they were kind of laughed at until after the fact. But a digital Pearl Harbor would be a surprise event hitting something you weren't expecting to see, causing major damage, and then how do you recover from it? As of last year, about this time, the beginning of 2023, there were 13 categorized digital Pearl Harbor events, like the Home Depot hack, the Government Services Administration hack, and that's that's one that got me because my top-secret background investigation and my fingerprints and my military record and my employment record wound up in Beijing. Uh, uh-oh, James F. Ponder, my guest tonight. We'll continue our program right after this. I'm Jeremy Scott. Into the 
I'm not sure if uh, James got uh, hacked himself, but uh, yeah, his connection was taking a bit of a beating. So hopefully we've anchored that down a little bit during uh, our break. All right, so uh, talking about what happened to you, uh, you had some of your own uh, information stolen. Uh, Military employment records, fingerprints as well. My fingerprints, my top secret background check, which they interviewed everybody going back to high school. And uh, yeah, all of that has wound up in Beijing. I was on the list of people that, because it went by the dates, that the uh, hack occurred and yeah they they got all of me i was i was in that lucky fat part of the curve where the chinese got just about everything on me and it was it was not information i could have secured it was information in my military records and in my employment record and this happened to several million of us so somebody else didn't secure that that well i i could I could jump up and down on the reputation of that governmental agency, but I have to say they're no worse than anybody else. There's a, a lack of network security people, and even though network security people really do know what they're doing, there's not enough of them, and there are too many open ports, and there are too many things added on where they weren't certified first, they weren't uh, covered first. And like a a big hack that occurred on a, I think it was a hydroelectric plant a couple of years ago, because of a bad winter, somebody went into a SCADA system and hooked up a laptop to it so he could, and it was a secured system off the internet, but somebody hooked up a laptop to it, so during a snowstorm, he could sit in his pajamas at home and make sure everything was running. And, of course, that was a big, fat target somebody in Central Europe saw and hacked immediately. So it's just uh, it's human error more than anything else. Once you get over the fact we're stuck with one Internet, it's just human Error, laziness, insufficient training, uh, plus a, a large number of bad guys out there that want to steal everything. And most of them don't even know what they're stealing. But when they get it, some of it's pretty valuable. I mean, if they have your fingerprints, they could, you know, they can plant those anywhere. Uh, they could access your, your phone if you have that sort of a security feature on. Uh, my last phone did, yeah, and fortunately, I don't do any financial activities through my phone. I'm paranoid enough, so I don't do anything like that. I actually use a physical credit card and swap it and then put it back in my wallet. But, uh, again, this is a level of convenience. Uh, having a smartphone, which is a, a small supercomputer you have in your pocket, or it's a small tracking device you keep in your pocket. But having your banking information there is really convenient, and it's also it also causes a problem. Some people lost a lot of Bitcoin in the last few years by keeping their Bitcoin accounts in an app on their phone, which is kind of not smart, but it's convenient until you have it stolen. Yeah, and then what do you do? It's too late. It's it's too 
late after the fact. If they see it, they're going to get it. And if if I had any Bitcoin, I would have it on a separate Linux laptop that never sees the internet. And I would have the uh, for uh, other than making Bitcoin transactions, and I would have my Bitcoin in a in a Linux laptop stored on a thumb drive that is taken out of the laptop unless a transaction is being made. That's only a couple of extra steps, but it's going to keep you from getting robbed. All right, James, tell us what you'd like to start off the top of the second hour with. Oh. Uh, there are a lot of a lot of directions we can go in. All uh, right. What? Uh, well, you, we'll do you, you give about, me something and we'll go with it. How about we'll do that when we come back? I thought you were going to leave the audience with some grand tease. That was your opportunity, James. <laughs> we'll be back Apologies. with James. James F. Ponder. I'm Jeremy Scott, somewhere between the paranormal and the abnormal. Well, trust me, we'll have something for you in the next hour. Lots to come. Don't venture too far. You might not make it back into the pair of normal. we go into the paranormal with jeremy scott hacking the genome uh, be careful what you put out there on the internet because it might come back to uh uh well create another one of you i uh, talking with james f ponder tonight on the program he is of course our cyber security and uh, emp expert we have him on the show couple of times a year, as much as we can, uh, to talk about uh, subjects that can really, uh, we, we should all uh, be aware of, and this one is is no different. Uh, so, in a situation like the uh, the 23 and me attack, 6.9 million users, information such as date of births, their family lineage, ancestry results, geographical locations, and perhaps, uh, you know, a lot more than that, we have a situation where this is now out on the Internet. A lot of people's uh, records, fingerprints, and uh, personal information is is out there for anybody basically to do what they want with it. To steal this kind of data basically doesn't require uh, a lot, does it, James? This can be somebody at the, uh, at the basic level who... who you know, knows a little bit about hacking and, and what to do, 
and and they can steal data off a website, right? Well, that's true. In fact, I I think our audience needs to know when when you called me and asked me is if I could be on the show and talking about hacking the genome. It's like, Jeremy, well, I haven't told your audience this. I I tell our host, I'm really good at about two and a half things. And I'm I'm good at those things, not outside of them. And I, I never even took chemistry. I took physics. I took a lot of astronomy. I took other classes in the sciences. But this is out and he said no 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 the 23 and me hack and i went oh it's a hack okay fine i can i can talk about that well physical dna has to be stored in tissue cassettes or look they're little plastic cases that are specially designed to be refrigerated, actually frozen, to maintain the integrity of the tissue sample of the DNA so that it can be sampled and then sampled again in the future and then maybe sampled again further in the future. But that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about the graphical, in other words, like a chart, bar chart, or alphanumeric representation of the DNA of the person we're talking about, whether it be the unidentified body, like in Sherbinitsa or some other disaster zone, or from a crime scene, from a known victim, and from possible DNA evidence off of that crime victim, Once that DNA is segregated out and it is ensured that it's part of the suspect or part of another person and not of the body or body part you've recovered, then that DNA evidence, that chemical, the deoxyribonucleic acid, is then turned into a graphical chart or an alphanumeric representation of what that is. And that is stored on a hard drive in a server someplace, or let's hope it doesn't happen this way, but it does, a cloud, which is an internet accessible database somewhere, and you never know where your cloud is. And then you have something that is hackable by somebody with uh, just normal hacking skills. Uh, Hacking DNA or altering the human genome requires enormous top-tier scientific infrastructure, labs, high-end computers, sequencing tools, and skilled geneticists and chemists, kind of beyond my ability. Whereas merely stealing DNA data that is stored in alphanumerically or graphically requires a hacker, a fast internet connection, unlike what I have right now. I apologize for my lousy internet connection. A VPN and a decent computer, and with enough online experience, you don't even need a high school diploma. You just need to know how to hack and what you're looking for. That's the problem we have right now, and we're back down to one internet with all the world's data on it, and you just need to know where to look. Yeah, just need to... 
well, uh, I guess it, you don't have to look far uh, much more in these days with it with it being online. Uh, so, what do you think is is being done with this information? I mean, if you were a hacker, what kinds of nefarious things could you come up with? Until you called me on this, I never actually thought about using stolen DNA, but it is possible to, one would be, this this is going to take some doing, but in high profile cases, you could either, with the information, spoof an alibi or spoof enough damning evidence for a conviction depending on where you wanted to go and now you have to wonder is any of let's say epstein's evidence from the young women and let's call them what they were girls children that were on the island was any of that evidence saved? Did they, like the infamous blue dress with the stain on it from 30 years ago, was anything saved and then turned in later for analysis so that this could be done? And this would probably not be in the 23andMe, but it could be. And and that's, that's the problem. Could a high-profile case that had DNA evidence taken years ago and now can be analyzed, could that analysis be spoofed? Or would those records be hacked and shown, oh no, it wasn't this person. Do you see the person there in the witness stand? This evidence shows it is not him. We have his DNA evidence and it was shown after his arrest, he was swabbed, they take the cheek swab, He was swabbed. The DNA was analyzed. We have the alphanumeric representation of the DNA right here. And this guy doesn't match that evidence taken from the crime scene. When the crime scene has been corrupted, when the corrupter has never been to the crime scene, he just tampered with the bits and bytes in the file that he was able to hack. And that's the problem that we have. And so what it's you kind of like, yeah, I'm sorry, like, it's go ahead, like I'm what, sorry. It's kind of like what, James? Well, it, it was kind of like when you ask me to come up with a scenario to mess up a hospital several months ago. And then you and know we what? talked about. And then it hit the mainstream oh, about two months after we had that show. Yeah, yeah. I I know I wasn't giving anybody any ideas. The bad guys had already thought of that. Right. But your listeners needed to go, needed to understand how far things would go. And unfortunately, they went pretty far. Yeah. And, uh, of course, uh, those are actually continuing. Uh, I'm going to run through some headlines uh, in the next segment. Just some recent ones of some, uh, some hacks that are already uh, rearing their heads. Uh, so far this year. Is there anything else, uh, any comments you had regarding the situation at, at 23 and me? lessons that we can, can learn from it, uh, things to keep an eye on from that? Well, I would use a robust password, something that is 
at least Sarbanes-Oxley compliant. That's the law that went in uh, right after 9-11. And a couple of lawyers apparently had some decent people assisting them on this. This was a good idea for back then. You need something better now. But a password must be longer than eight bytes, longer than eight characters, and have in it at least one uppercase letter, lowercase letter, number, and symbol. You need a lot more than that now. But 9-11, got to remember, was 22 years ago, 22 and change years ago. Things have kind of changed further in the computer world and in the internet world and in the security world. You need a longer, more complex password. And, and Jeremy, in, in some show, if you want me on for a shorter segment, I could I can have some examples so that your audience can listen in on how to generate a really robust password. Okay, well, I'm just saying, and I will be happy to share those. Uh, how do you remember a password easily? Because here's the situation either you have to use something that you're going to remember and you use it across uh, multiple websites or apps or whatever the case happens to be, or you slightly alter it. But then that drives you nuts because you can't remember on which website you altered what. And if your phone doesn't remember the login, it can just uh, create issues. So you're either always using the same password or you're using a slightly different password. Or if it's at work, every 90 days or whatever it happens to be, they require you to change your password. And so sometimes you just change a few characters or a few numbers and now you need to remember that. Um, what do you do? You write it on a piece of paper and stick it somewhere? I mean, what's the safe way to remember passwords these days? Uh, I'll go ahead and give the trick right now. Uh, I I was in a conversation with somebody that, that thinks about things like this all the time. And he saw a situation that was strangling a computer that was trying to crack passwords and it was three five letter words with spaces in between now you have to be very careful when you're doing this don't blame me if if you don't test this first but you can put a use a space as a character a space is actually a character and just because the symbol isn't on your keyboard doesn't mean it doesn't have a symbol. It does. The space bar actually has a symbol. I can't describe it to you right now. But if you, let's say one of the words used in the example was bison. It's a five-letter word and then a space and then another five-letter word like times, T-I-M-E-S, and then another space and then a word that had a couple of numbers in it replacing the letters. Now, what my big thinking colleague came up with was he collects five syllable words. All right, we're going to stop that right where we are, and we'll pick it up exactly there when we come back with James F. Ponder, because we have to take a break. I'm Jeremy Scott. Into the paranormal. Your password should not be password. I mean, I think we we understand that. 
But there are some other things that you should keep in mind as well, because that's what happened here in the case of 23andMe. I mean, if you've got your uh, your ancestry information, your genealogy, you know, your family tree on there, I mean, how many people do you want accessing that uh, who don't have uh, your good interest in mind, who aren't just trying to identify their family members, but maybe trying to use it to uh, identify you and then hack you and, and, cont- and then take that password and perhaps see what other accounts you use. Maybe it's your Amazon or it's your Uber account, and maybe you use that password for everything or a slight variation of that, or maybe like these five-syllable words, uh, this trick that James was telling us about. Go ahead, James. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't know you are going to me now. Uh, as I was starting in before, a colleague of mine, just expanded upon something that he read about. I read about it also, about a series of five-letter words with a space between them to kind of slow things down because normal dictionary tracks that agencies use and hackers use, and when I say agencies, I mean like in China, in in Central Europe, in Russia, in North Korea, they don't normally use spaces. And spaces are different in the English language or in Western languages than they are, let's say, in Chinese or Japanese or Korean. But what my colleague came up with was he looks for five-syllable words. You come up with a five-syllable word, like, you can't use this because I'm going to give it to you over the air. Satisfactory. That's a five-syllable word. Now, have satisfactory as your first word. Have, like, a middle letter capitalized. Have space, and then have an ox, have a, have a another word in there this say five or six letters long, five or six bytes long to be specific, and you'll it'll start with say a letter like it's going to be a word, but then have a symbol or number. That's the one you change every ninety days. Let's say if you have to change your password every ninety days, you you got eighty nine days to come up with another five syllable word where you're going to have that in a space. And, of course, you can make any O or I in it into the number one or zero or make any S in it into a five, but you've got that five-letter word. You have a space in there to strangle the computer a little bit, and then you're going to have your own word that you share with your wife, husband, significant other, and you write it down into in a piece of paper that nobody's going to pick up, like in the Bible that never gets opened in the bookshelf, for example, or an old photo album or something like that. Something where if uh, somebody else finds it, uh, we've already got problems. Like you've got an intruder or you're dead, (laughs) 
and they're going through your stuff. Uh, boy, uh, James F. Ponder is our guest, and we have to go to break because it is the bottom of the hour. That's just how the cookie crumbles. But we'll continue our program with him. I'm Jeremy Scott. Into the paranormal. This is Paranormal News. A commercial spacecraft once destined to become the first made in America to reach the moon's surface since Apollo 17 in 1972 is doomed. United Launch Alliance launched its Vulcan Centaur rocket on a maiden voyage early Monday morning from Cape Canaveral with Astrobotics Peregrine Moon Lander in tow, carrying 20 customer payloads, including five NASA science instruments. Three, we have ignition. and liftoff of the first United Launch Alliance Vulcan rocket, launching a new era in spaceflight to the moon and beyond. But all the excitement quickly soured because of a failure with the propulsion system, causing a critical loss of propellant. The lander will run out of fuel within days. Although this mission turned out to be a disappointment, ULA's Amanda Bacchetti says they hope to change the industry. We've brought in a lot of new innovation and capabilities that are going to allow us to even better support our warfighters, exploration, as well as connecting the world. The lander was expected to touch down on the moon next month and spend about 10 days collecting data. George Henry, Paranormal News. Cyber attack. A major cybersecurity breach. The first of its kind data breach. MGM has been dealing with a cybersecurity nightmare. The people behind this got into an FBI unclassified server. Suspected foreign hackers have breached nine organizations in the defense, energy, healthcare, technology, and education sectors. Federal agencies, state governments, and major universities have been hit. The cyber group, backed by Iran, is taking credit for breaching a water treatment plant in Pennsylvania. Critical services like hospitals, like water systems around the country are facing persistent attacks. It's becoming more and more apparent to us that China is uh, preparing to launch some kind of an all-out uh, cyber attack on the United States. Into the paranormal. China warning the U.S. that we could be next as far as a major cyber attack, especially if we uh, get our noses involved in what's going on over in Taiwan. Uh, I don't think that that's a uh, good situation to uh, get involved with. We're already involved in uh, a couple of wars right now. Uh, Would you concur, James? Yeah, I don't think it would be such a great idea to go facing the Chinese military, the the PLA and the People's Liberation Army Navy, which sounds as uh, kind of a messy acronym, but all parts of the Chinese military come under 
the People's Army. So the Navy is the PLAN. And they have built up extremely rapidly this century. And they now are one of the few nations on Earth with a functioning aircraft carrier and at, at pilots that can take off and land from aircraft carriers. It's one thing to have an aircraft carrier, but it's another to actually have the culture to be able to land it. And it, and it is one. I, I've talked to Navy pilots and I've talked to people that understand that and you can't just build an aircraft carrier and figure out how to take off and land from them it it takes a generation to do it and they've been doing it and kind of like i used to tell my students when i was teaching in the army the the russians are willing to give up the moon to conquer uh near earth orbit because they are willing to spend as many billion rubles as they need to and kill as many cosmonauts as they can to conquer Earth orbit. We are not. So we don't know how many Chinese pilots died out in the desert taking off and landing from uh, an, air an airstrip that is made to look like an aircraft carrier because that's what Jimmy Doolittle did in Pensacola before the uh, raid on Tokyo in 1942. It, it causes fatalities to do it right, but I'm sure the Chinese have done it right by now and they know what they're doing. Going to war against them in the Pacific, what would be west of Hawaii, would be a very bad idea. And it looks like the elections in Taiwan are going to be pro-mainland China anyway. If you've been following what's going on in Taiwan, and it's kind of hard to, it looks like they're tipping further and further toward the mainland. So it's becoming less of our business. I just hope Apple and TMC builds enough chip fabs in the United States to uh, cushion our loss when it does occur. And James, what do you think about it being a record year for cyber attacks? That's, of course, known cyber attacks. The unknown cyber attacks probably adds a whole new layer to this. With over 120 countries the victim of cyber attacks, uh, many major ones happened last year as well, which, of course, we talked about. Uh, and several important and concerning uh, sectors, including academia, healthcare, water, energy, fuel, transportation, and even maritime shipping. Um, I mean, yes. this, this this is only going to get worse, seemingly. Population is growing. People come up with more innovative ways to use the internet. That thing called podcasting, for example, and internet radio, of which I am a big fan. All sorts of things are going on the internet, business-wise, records-wise, medical, government, that make things easier, smoother, more efficient, and leaving more people, more organizations, more governmental entities wide open to attack, to theft, to spoofing, to hacking. And uh, it, it, it would surprise me greatly if there were ever a downturn in 
malicious cyber events from one year to the next. They, of course, they're going to grow. When Earth's population stops growing, as it seems to be about to, the number of hacks will still be going up. And the reason why is more and more of our devices have multiple IP addresses in them. I, I mean, when you consider a brand new car, it has hundreds of pieces of electronics in in each car and dozens of those have separate IP addresses, internet protocol addresses, a specific address by which that device can be accessed and commanded from either the car itself or from maintenance or, and we're finding this out now, law enforcement to turn your car off remotely or to monitor what you're doing in the car, maybe without a warrant. Do you believe that these hacker groups are working together in some capacity, whether or not, uh, you know, to, to hack the same individuals, but at least sharing data and also information on, say, best hacking methods? Without question. That's what a lot of the dark web is, is not just trading things like, uh, lists of passwords or links, uh, excuse me, lists of reverses such as new tricks on credential stuffing or uh, new routines on data, child pornography, the, the usual suspects, but all sorts of things about data sharing as well. And the data sharing they would do is look at these files I got from this governmental agency. Well, that's great. Look at the files I got on the people that work at this defense contractor. Oh, cool. Well, look what I got on this group of people that do such and such. It's only growing. And there would certainly be in governmental agencies and let's say a notorious large and well-funded bad actor like China, the People's Republic of China, the Chinese Communist Party, they would have multiple government entities, not all coming under the PLA or their intelligence units that are sharing data with each other after the fact, but they're all coming up with their own hacks, their own targets, targeting lists, uh, prioritizing which to hit first and which to do publicly to show, oh, look what we've done here, but they're actually doing something else. You know, the magician's trick. Watch what the other hand is doing. We don't know which hand is going on because there are hundreds of hands going on in this sleight of hand. So what you said is true, Jeremy, but it's bigger than any of us can imagine. I bet it is. And, of course, uh, we're behind the eight ball, uh, certainly behind the times on this. Uh, we'll find out when it's uh, too late. Uh, GPS attack. Uh, a NATO nation uh, was victim of this uh, attack uh, last week, Finland, and they're saying that uh, Russia had to do with it. This is a really disturbing problem. And part of it is to streamline training and 
part of it is getting away from the old way of doing things like all the first world countries are going to be in serious trouble when the grid goes down because we don't know the techniques of acquiring water, of growing food, of just living day to day without electricity and running water. GPS has become a crutch and this was this was really a shock to me before I was in the cyber business full time with my agency after the first Persian Gulf War 1990 and 1991 it came out after the fact that the Chinese were recording every single minute of the war coverage from CNN and the other world services like Sky Television in England and so forth they were finding out all that the U.S. and the Allied forces in Iraq were doing, and they came to a single conclusion, that the advanced Western countries have a unique Achilles heel, and that being satellite-based GPS. Now, not all GPS is satellite-based. A lot of what you have on your phone is the known location of cell towers. Excuse me. <clears throat> but... For military purposes, it's almost all satellite. And the Chinese determined that if you could block GPS, you could cause chaos. But what's better than blocking or turning off GPS? Spoofing it. And one of the things that was done to mess up Iraqi air defense systems was to hack what this is too long a story but basically to hack the network that they had and this is pre-internet to hack the system that they had for their air defense systems which they bought from the ussr but they had a french network and printers in them and the printers were infected by a Western bug intentionally. So the computers to guide the anti-aircraft missiles just added one, one meter to the altitude, to the depth of it, the range of it, and to the speed of it. And by doing that, they missed almost every shot. And the Chinese realized that if they could give false data as valid data through a GPS that people are trained enough to rely completely on the GPS and not know how to navigate by eyeball or not know celestial navigation, they're not trained in it anymore, that it could cripple and cause a great deal of damage to our rail, excuse me, our, our air and shipping infrastructure. And in fact, airlines are having kind of unpublicized chaos right now with the problems of GPS hacks well, there because was, uh, GPS. Because it's what? The GPS is, again, it's a function of a network, and most GPS data flows either wirelessly or on the network if it's not direct from the satellite then it flows on the internet and if it's on the internet 
it can be intercepted and spoofed. Stopping a GPS system, you understand it stopped. When it's spoofed, you think you're getting valid data. And you could, let's say, fly the plane into a building or fly the plane out into the ocean so far, you can't turn around because you're not trained to navigate fully. It, it, it's a real problem, and it's only going to get worse until the much longer and much more expensive training comes back in to navigate with tools that are not satellite and internet-based. All right, more with James F. Ponder as we'll wind down our broadcast with him after this. I'm Jeremy Scott. Into the Pilots reporting uh, disturbances, motorists as well. This is uh, what happened uh, in Finland with the uh, GPS attack. Of course, uh, James was mentioning as well, uh, James F. Ponder, my guest tonight, about uh, the the threat to air uh, aviation as well. And uh, there was a uh, many troubling incidents that happened over the Middle East in September Actually, it's been happening uh, since September, they say, with commercial air crews reporting uh, this spoofing, these uh, spoofing attacks that uh, James was mentioning. Uh, So, uh, I mean, what do we take home here from this uh, whole situation? This is another part of asymmetric warfare. It's not going to be two armies lining up against each other with their air force forces bombing the troops on the ground and then fighting in a what was called a FIBA forward edge of the battle area it's not like that anymore it's going to be rear action and that is affecting a nation's airlines and air traffic control affecting a nation's logistics uh, remember oil pipelines, hydroelectric, they're all run off of the internet. Now, a lot of them are being converted to SCADA. That is, you know, segregated, uh, there's there's special command and control items that you're not supposed to access with a laptop, but still, there are, most things are accessible through the internet, and that is a problem, and it's a problem with its availability now to foreign assets to use for asymmetric warfare. It's something that's got to be, it, it can be gotten around, but it's going to require planning and training. And I'm not quite sure if they're ready to go down that route yet. I, I do, I do want to leave your listeners with something, Jeremy, if I may. Please go ahead. We are living in a great period in human history. Nobody has had access. No group of people have ever had access to the history that we have right now, to the information that we have. If you live in the first world, the the health care availability, the knowledge you can have, the just the things that we have, the running water, all that we have that works well, the power grid, which 
I really wish it had been rebuilt by now. So don't let the things that are happening around you that are on our minds all the time now, the economy, all the other things that are happening, these things weigh upon us. Don't let these hacks become an extra burden on your consciousness. Take charge of your passwords. Be careful. Manage your passwords. Use complex ones. Hide them better, not under your keyboard. I used to teach my students, look there first. And take charge of some things you can do yourself. Don't use your phone to pay for things. Use a physical credit card. It is much more secure. And even if you have your wallet stolen, you know to call a credit card company. It's not like having an unlocked phone out there with your data on it. You can do things yourself to make yourselves more secure, your home more secure. And quite honestly, it's worth the effort. Because a little effort now will save a lot of heartache. This is, this is not particle physics. We can all do this. And you can start by having a more secure setup in your home with your computer, better passwords. And the thing is, ask somebody. People are willing to help. I do time for people helping them out with this. It's not just, oh, yeah, I'll fix your hard drive. No, I, I try to assist people in being more secure, and you can do so. Use a complex password you and your significant other can remember and come up. Oh, that's an interesting six-syllable word. I think I'll change a couple of characters to that and make sure you can remember it. It's going to be probably too complex to be in any computer cracker's dictionary because a, a, a cracker dictionary could be millions of James. of. Yes. I uh, appreciate you coming on the program tonight. That is all the time we have. Very good. It's been a pleasure being here, Jeremy. Thanks for asking me on. Absolutely. James F. Ponder. I'm Jeremy Scott from the cold, dark depths of a secret dungeon somewhere deep in the remote Pacific Northwest. Good night. God bless. Until next week. <laughs>